name is Kriti and you're listening to the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcast. Hey Mavericks, yeah. You hear about ice? What's that? You want another one? Really? Yeah. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be served. Do you maggots understand that? I got a military-age male uh, on a cell phone watching the convoy over. If you think he's reporting troop movement, you have a green light. Your call, over. Sometimes I wonder if I've changed so much. My wife is even going to recognize me whenever it is I get back to her. And how I'll ever be able to to tell her about days like today. You were in a 4G inverted dive with the MiG-28? Yes, ma'am. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Thank You for Your Service, a hard look at American civil military affairs from the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts. I'm Nick Perezo. Joining us today is our creative consultant, Sarah Claudi. Thanks, Nick. And there's actually probably no better episode for a creative consultant to jump in on than today's. The portrayal of the military in media and entertainment informs a lot about what Americans know or don't know about the military. But far too often, Hollywood seems to miss the mark on portraying service members and veterans accurately. We see veterans on screen either as lionized heroes or broken, traumatized individuals. But we hardly see anything more nuanced. Those kinds of stereotype portrayals can widen the already existing civil-military divide. We're excited to feature an interview we had with Chris Marvin. Chris is a former U.S. Army helicopter pilot, flying Blackhawks during Operation Enduring Freedom. In 2012, he founded Got Your Six, an organization that seeks to shift public perceptions about veterans and the military. They do community outreach as well as work with the entertainment industry to help create accurate portrayals of the military and veterans on screen. In 2015, Chris launched his own strategy and communications consulting practice, and he continues to work on community engagement and veteran narratives. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. That's my pleasure. So you began as a U.S. Army helicopter pilot, and now you're working on veteran narratives. Can you tell us a little bit about how you made that transition and why you decided to start Got Your Six? Yeah, my, my, story, my story is pretty unique. Uh, I was an Army Black Hawk helicopter pilot and a platoon leader. Uh, I took my platoon to Afghanistan in the spring of 2004, which nowadays is relatively early on in that uh, never-ending conflict. Um, and I, I actually had a unique experience. I was wounded pretty badly in a helicopter crash uh, later in the fall of that same year. Um, I broke my foot and both of my legs and one of my arms, uh, shattered all the bones on one side of my face, the damage to both my knees, both my hips, both my shoulders. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of sounds like I broke my whole body. I, I like to list them one by one for, for some dramatic effect, of course. But, um, but, you know, for me, being wounded like that gave me a new and different perspective on the way that society looks at veterans. Uh, as I went through a long recovery, um, you know, I had a lot of different experiences with people. Um, and, and I kind of saw through some of the, the, the portrayals and the perceptions of veterans, of, of service members, and, and particularly those of us who've been wounded. Um, and, and it didn't always sit the right way with me. I found that 
Uh, there were kind of three ways way back then, especially that people viewed veterans. Uh, one was with pity. Um, and then for me as a wounded, vet, a wounded service member, that, that was, uh, that was clear and, and, uh, and often, uh, the people would pity me, but, but that's okay. That, that doesn't feel that bad. I understand that where people are coming from. Um, the next one was charity. People want to give me things. Um, again, I understand that, you know, if people are trying to do something, do their part, but what both of those led to, and what really bothered me was that, uh, people ended up with low expectations of me and of really veterans as a whole that, you know, if we could just accomplish little tasks, then, then you know, we would be successful. And so that might be, you know, recovering from an injury uh, or, or getting a job or, or not being homeless or not succumbing to PTSD or, or suicide or whatever the, 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 the archetype dictated. Um, and so with that pity, charity and low expectations, I sort of set out to change that narrative, uh, to, to, to base my work in, in sort of the factual perceptions and portrayals of veterans uh, and to say that like veterans are leaders and civic assets that need to be coming home to our communities and making a difference and doing something to make our communities stronger. And, and how do we do that? Uh, and so that's that was the genesis of Got Your Six, this idea that by by interjecting that narrative into Hollywood, that was sometimes responsible for these portrayals and these perceptions uh, that we could make make a difference in the way veterans are seen in society. So do you think there's been any progress in the past decade or so? Like, what do you make of the military veteran portrayal today? Yeah, look, I think that, um, well, I know from conversations in writers' rooms in Hollywood, you know, five, six years ago, uh, that there were definitely folks, and, and again, it's only anecdotal, but but it happened over and over, that there were folks uh, writing these scripts who just didn't even know a veteran, right? And and, and we live in a time uh, that's much different from, say, my grandfather's generation, where every male uh, served and, and most of the females helped out in some capacity with the war effort around World War II. And, and Vietnam was different because it was a draft. And my generation is, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, you know we only have, um, you know, a handful, a few million people who have served uh, overseas um, in, since 9-11. And so it's not that likely that a writer or a producer or a director is going to have that firsthand experience with someone who's been in the military. And so for uh, for us, we were just introducing really simple concepts like show a normalized depiction of veterans. Doesn't have to be a hero who walks on water. Doesn't have to be someone who's totally broken and damaged, uh, which came across as the most prevalent two portrayals, right? It was kind of one or the other. And we're trying to say, like, what about the middle, right? Like an everyday person who has a job and a family and he or she is, you know, just kind of moving along and, 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 and in their life. And do you, I think that's the progress that we've seen. There are still films that valorize military service. There are still films that, you know, sort of denigrate veterans in certain ways or at least make us feel the pity, the charity and the low expectations. But I think more and more we have seen these small moments of just having a character on a television show or a film say, I was in the Marine Corps, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be their defining characteristic. And if we, it's sort of the over prevalence of those moments and having it in, in many shows and films that are going to get us to that real normalization that the veteran is just a, 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 you know, a, a past life or a past career for a lot of people that we might run across in everyday life. So you're saying that these inaccurate portrayals of veterans in the military can be really dangerous and can widen the already existing civil military divide because veterans are so much more than just the very um, 
one-dimensional kind of characters we see on screen. Yeah, that, I, that's that's exactly right. I mean, and I think that it, it comes from more than than just on screen. I think that what you actually see more of on on screen is well, two things. When when film and television, and I'm talking about narrative film and television, dramatic portrayals, when they're trying to show a veteran, uh, they immediately jump again to either valorization or victimization. But when they jump to the victimization, it's usually not because they had a veteran and didn't know how to portray him. It's more like they had a homeless person and they wanted to give him a more dynamic backstory. And so they made him a veteran. But then that becomes dangerous because there's only, you know, veteran homelessness is an issue, but it's, you know, not something that we want to be the only portrayal, uh, the only way veterans are portrayed on, 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 on a show. Um, valorization tends to be actually a worse issue in dramatic portrayals, right? So you get this, we're only showing, but that makes sense too, because, you know, through history, going back to, you know, the ancient Greeks, we've, we've told stories about, you know, valorific heroes and, and, you know, odysseys and epics. And, you know, these are, these are the things that, that stories are made of. So you can't totally blame Hollywood for wanting to grab, you know, the American sniper story, um, you know, or something like that, some, some heroic story and put it into film. Right. But, but it doesn't show who a veteran really is. So it's kind of okay to tell those stories as long as the audience is somehow tempered in their expectations of who veterans really are. We all have purple hearts and silver stars and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. News media, on the other hand, I feel leans really strong towards the victimization, Mm -hmm. right? Because if it bleeds, it leads. Right. And so, you're going to see these stories about whether it's about a, a nonprofit that was stealing money or about a, a, a veteran who is the victim of some scam or, um, you know, some statistic about homelessness or PTSD or suicide. And they're going to puff it up. Um, and whether that's, you know, print media, online, television media, whatever it is. But the news and the journalists are often the ones who are, I think, per- perpetuating the victim narrative more than dramatic portrayals. Um, but either way, and no matter how it happens. It's not accurate. It's not real. It's not accurate. It's not who veterans really are. So you talked a bit about this tendency that we've kind of always had to maybe over glorify the military on one side. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's one side of the spectrum. And that obviously has some implications on the civil military divide. But is there also a chance that it could contribute to a culture where it's forbidden to criticize or question the military itself? (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't think it's uh, I'm not sure how you worded it, but I, I don't think it's uh, we're in danger of creating that. I think that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's absolutely where we are as a society, and it's incredibly dangerous. I mean, let me speak very frankly. Like, we are 17 and a half years into the war in Afghanistan. That war was authorized shortly after September 11, 2001, by one vote in Congress, the authorization of the use of military force, and has not been reexamined by Congress since then. To me, that is the biggest fundamental failure of our American democracy since South Carolina seceded from the Union before the Civil War. Wow. I, I, I truly believe that. Like, Congress is absolutely failing. And in that, citizens and constituents of Congress members are absolutely failing to hold their Congress people to their jobs to examine whether or not we should be at war. But the argument you get when anybody brings this up, right, and it typically is, um, left-leaning congressmen and women who will bring this up to say, let's vote on the AUMF again. Let's put it into the, the NDAA, the, the, the Defense Authorization Act. Let's put it in there. Let's talk about it. Let's put it on the House floor. Let's debate it. 
um, the people who push back on it say that would be an insult to the people who are serving. That would be an insult to the brave men and women who, you know, give their life or risk their lives for our country. Um, that's garbage. Like it is the opposite. You're continuing to put these people into harm's way for what? And that's a rhetorical question. The for what is up for debate. We can talk about it and we might talk about it for days or months or years and come to a conclusion. And that conclusion could be, yes, we should keep fighting or no, we shouldn't. I don't have a decision on that. That is for Congress to make just debate the subject. Mm -hmm. And when they don't, and when they use this overvalorization uh, as, a, as a device to not do their jobs, that's where we fail as a democracy. Um, and there's other ways. There's other ways we can get into that too. Uh, that that overvalorization happens, you know, with N on NFL fields, you know, when people are trying to use veterans as a way to argue against their personal bias against Colin Kaepernick's ideological beliefs. That's that's also a major problem, uh, and, it, and it goes on and on. And so that whole idea that anybody would try to uh, hijack uh, a, a veteran archetype or, or what we believe as veterans and say hey, that we all believe anything, we, we don't, right? We all have a vast uh, uh, spectrum of opinions, um, so don't, don't speak for me and don't try to speak for all veterans in any of those cases, but especially if you're a member of Congress. Do you think that this overvalorization issue though some of it falls upon the responsibility of veterans because a lot of these movies that overglorify the military they come from book deals right that veterans are mm -hmm. writing and so to what extent does that responsibility fall on veterans as well yeah it's an interesting question um and i think it deserves probably a longer conversation than we have because you know i while i simultaneously agree with what you just said i also think that one of the fundamental problems with or uh, problems and sources of the civilian military divide is not only the numbers, right, and the small amount of people that have served in the military and are currently serving in the military, but also uh, the fact that we don't talk about it. And so there's this weird dynamic in the overvalorization that actually makes people who didn't serve feel like they don't have a right to criticize, which means they don't have a right to converse. And so what you get is these these totally benign interactions between civilians and veterans that are kind of like, thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. And then the veterans like, oh, 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 no big deal. Right. And, and that's a problem. Right. The way that, you know, the way that that conversation should go is it, it should continue. It should be like, where did you serve? What did you do? What was it like? How do you feel about it? Um, I'm interested because I'm a civilian who votes for the people who chose to send you to war, right? Like the, the idea of being in the military and going to war is, is a deep and fundamental trust in, in, the, uh, in, in your, basically in your neighbors and the people who are voting to, to put you in those positions because more or less the, veteran, the military themselves tend to be apolitical or supposed to be apolitical. And so, so it really is about the civilian participation. But if they're uninformed, because they're afraid to ask even a, not even a difficult, they're afraid to ask easy questions, right? Mm -hmm. um, then, then we have a major problem. And so I, I see that there is some value in these veterans who are making these book deals and creating these uh, storytelling opportunities, if only as a substitute for the lack of sort of community conversation that we see all over the country. And maybe, maybe those book deals wouldn't be as, as uh, interesting or as lucrative or as popular if we were having conversations in you know town halls and 
you know, uh, amongst neighbors and, and, you know, at church socials, you know, but like somehow we as a society taught ourselves that we're not allowed to say much to anybody who's been to combat besides thank you for your service. And I do blame that on a certain number of veterans who actually perpetuate that idea. Um, and they're just flat wrong, right? They actually uh, were paid by the taxpayer, right? So mm-hmm. they, have a, they have a right and an obligation, an obligation more to kind of explain a little bit of what they're doing. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to tell your personal stories, but you have to be willing to engage in a conversation with somebody about some basic elements of your military service. That, that's going to help all of us. Yeah, I also, I mean, I want to point out that probably the books that end up getting these movie deals, um, they tend to have a narrative that make a lot of money in Hollywood, right? So these big blockbuster films that show our service members as heroes, they attract a lot of viewers. And so do the types of movies that kind of show troubled or PTSD stereotypes. So if those are the movies that are making money, those are the books that are getting movie deals. Um, Right. I guess like how, what kind of framework can we use uh, to move away from those stereotypes while still incentivizing yeah. Hollywood to basically have any type of narrative about veterans? Right. Still, still letting Hollywood make some money. Right. We can't just tell right. them, hey, you should make films that are boring and factually accurate. Exactly. Uh, and they're like, yeah, that's not going to do well at the box office. So I, yeah, you're totally right on that. Um, I think that um, the first thing is what I spoke on earlier, which is that that idea of a of a, a sort of a common narrative um, to to uh, normalize the depiction of veterans. So, well, my best example is always Ed O'Neill's character from Modern Family. It's a character named Jay Pritchett. And if you watch it so religiously, you know that he's a Navy veteran. If you watch it periodically, you might not because it only comes up once or twice a season. But he's just a regular guy with all these characteristics who then, you know, happens to be a Navy veteran. That's great. And, and I could give you dozens of examples of that. They don't all stand out. You don't even think that they're veteran or military shows. They just happen to be, they're shows about something else that happen to have a veteran in them. So that is a device by which we, we fight that. But, but even if you look at like uh, the film Lone Survivor, which Peter Berg wrote, directed, and produced and did a fantastic job with, there's a little bit of valorization there, but I think justifiably, right? Like these are people who, uh, with the exception of one person, spoiler alert, Lone Survivor, uh, that, that he uh, that, that everybody gave their life right and and in some ways you know um, one of the individuals got the Congressional Medal of Honor for it so that that is valor right that's true heroism that's true valor we do tell that story we should tell that story you know that is a modern day you know odyssey if you will uh, in some in some ways but the important thing about Lone Survivor was and I truly believe this when it came out. Um, and, and, and I was involved a little bit in some of the post-production elements and, and, and some of the uh, fundraising behind the film. I would tell people all the time, before Lone Survivor came out, name a battle from the longest war in the history of America. Right? Even back then, it was already the longest war in the history of America. And if you walked out on the street and said to 10 people, can you name one or two battles from the longest war in the history of America? They probably couldn't do it. I mean, maybe they would say Tora Bora. They might have heard of that from the very, very, very beginning of Afghanistan. But they could name something from Vietnam, something from World War One, something from World War Two, something from the Civil War, something from the Revolutionary War. I mean, they know Bunker Hill backwards and forwards, but they don't know anything from the current conflict, right? And the idea that now we can just say whether it's whether they say Operation Red Wings, which is the you know more official name of the battle, or they just say that lone survivor thing. That is introducing civilians to the fact that we've been at war for, you know, now 17 years at that time, over a dozen years. And that 
that is crucially important. So those are the, those films serve at least that purpose, um, as well as to tell the story of people who are genuine heroes without saying that all veterans are heroes just because they put on the uniform, but the people in that film are heroes because of the things they actually did. Mm-hmm. As China's role grows greater on the global stage, you want to stay up to date on the issues most pressing to China, both domestically and internationally. Check out the Just China podcast for in-depth analysis on recent headlines and investigative reports on Chinese matters that affect our globalized world. We are Just China. Find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. Got your six has this process where. It'll certify a movie、um, for having accurate veteran portrayals. I know you mentioned Modern Family, but could you give us some more examples of what those Got Your Six certified、uh, portrayals are and look like? Right. So、um, I ran Got Your Six for the first four years that it was in existence, which was、uh, 2012 through 2016.、Uh, actually, late 2015, but yeah, you know, four years there. And、um, we started that that certification when I was there. The Like six certified, sort of a, an award or a stamp of approval for films, and and that was, it, it was really just meant to be an incentive, but it but it just set a standard. It said out loud what we were looking for in in these films、uh, and television shows, and sometimes it could be. Um, a show where、uh, you know there's a prevalent veteran storyline all the way through it. Sometimes it was a guest star. I remember one of the one of the shows we worked with was、uh, the Mindy Project,、uh, which where Seth Rogen was a was a guest star on the on the show, and he was meant to be、uh, Mindy's、uh, love interest from years past.、Uh, and 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 needless needless to say, it was it was、uh, Seth Rogen, so he was hilarious. And <laughs> they cracked these jokes and they sort of poked fun. At some of this valorization stuff, they kind of poked fun at the "thank you for your service" narrative, and they poked fun at those types of things, and 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 that was great because humor can be so powerful. Some of the other instances involved us, you know, going into writers' rooms, sort of in preparation for this award,、uh, and talking to folks. And I remember talking to a, a television show、uh, that, that had primarily women characters, and they first they said, "Well, we can't have a veteran because we have primarily women characters." <laughs> I kind of laughed. I said, "Well, <laughs> first let's have a conversation about、uh, the demographics of the military." And, and yes, you can.、Um, but but number two,、um, it doesn't have to be your main character. Maybe if you want it to be a male veteran, it can be a love interest of your main character, and it can be someone that comes through in passing. And、um, and again, we were really celebrating both the films like Lone Survivor, American Sniper, that told the. The the true or near to true life story of something from the current conflict,、um, as well as looking at humorous portrayals and looking at you know the 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 modern family or,、uh, portrayal or just that that guest star that comes in、um, and serves as a, a temporary、uh, love interest who happens to be a marine and that that to to us was was really really powerful and the reason we created the program. Was to try to make it more prevalent, to try to incentivize people, to, to, just to throw that in there. You're already creating a character from scratch, right? And you're going to decide if this character is male or female, where they're from in the country, how old they are, how tall they are, what race they are, what their interests are, et cetera, et cetera. You might as well you know, occasionally say, "Well, he or she used to be in the army," right?、Mm-hmm. Without even going into any detail, that's easy, and and it makes the character more dynamic. So we were trying to incentivize in that way. So shifting gears just a little bit, I remember reading a report 
maybe last month or a few months ago about how the army had turned to creating like a, a rap music video to try to uh, increase recruiting because they were having issues with recruiting. Do you think um, Hollywood or entertainment can appropriately be used to generate support for recruiting? You know, it's an interesting question. I think there's a direct and an indirect answer. And then I think that if you think about it as a direct relationship between the Department of Defense and, you know, whether it's Hollywood or the NFL, you know, or the professional sports, which has been an issue in the past, then there are there are and should be some limitations on the way that taxpayer money is spent on those things. That said, I do believe that the military should have marketing budgets and the military should uh, actively kind try to recruit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, you know, the Marine Corps has famously had amazing recruiting videos. And you'll talk to Marines of my generation and they'll say that a video in the late 80s of some Marines slaying a dragon with a sword is the reason they're <laughs> in the Marine Corps. It's like, OK, well, it's not the best reason to join the Marine Corps. But if it worked, it worked. And now you're a, you know, a great Marine. So that, you know, that's that's just part of it. That's just marketing. Um, but if we're talking about uh, so, again, I don't think that necessarily the DOD should be spending a ton of money to do what Guy 6 was trying to do, for example, to inject veteran narratives into film and television. That, that could get expensive quickly, um, which is why we did it from a nonprofit capacity. Uh, that said, I do think that all of us, you know, all Americans, including filmmakers and writers and producers, like have a responsibility to, to think about our role in this. And I think that that's kind of what we've been missing. That is the civilian military divide. People really not understanding that they have any role whatsoever. And so if, you know, someone like Pete Berg, who makes a, a film about Lone Survivor, feels like that was his contribution to making sure that we have a strong military going forward because he, he, he told a story that, that was of, of heroic people uh, who weren't necessarily slaying dragons with swords, but were doing the modern day equivalent uh, or the real life equivalent, um, then I think that, you know, that might be, you know, his contribution as a citizen. And so I think that, there's a place for it, um, but really in an indirect manner versus sort of direct DOD taxpayer money going towards something like that, uh, with, again, an exception for, for some limited level of marketing budget that, that is important. So not like Battleship with Rihanna or the new <laughs> Top Gun movie with Tom Cruise working on the Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know what you're talking about. Battleship is why I joined the Navy. <laughs> See, and so if it works, it works, right? So um, I'm just no, kidding. I, That's look, not true. I, I, I feel, I, I feel like yes. Yeah, sometimes we may may cross lines, and, and you know, you can get into individual. Uh, there, there's ethics people who deal with all of this kind of stuff, and and how taxpayer money is spent, and 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 we have some rules on this, and so if it's done within the rules, that's fine. If we don't like the rules, then it's our job as you know citizens to work with Congress to change those rules. You know what I mean? So that's kind of that's kind of where I'll leave that one. Um, uh, but but I but I will say that that you know we we do want to s keep seeing these films being made and, and at some point entertainment's entertainment I I tell you what the same thing about that that Marine Corps commercial with the the guy slaying the dragon you hear the same thing from Navy pilots with reference to the you know the Tom Cruise Top Gun right. version and that you know that that's why they did it you know and so that that's that's big and that's important also look we want films to be realistic right and as a filmmaker, you don't get to go 
purchase a Blackhawk helicopter, right? <laughs> so like when those guys are making Blackhawk down, they're like, well, we we kind of want to use Blackhawks because, you know, it's sort of the center of the story and it's in the middle of the, um, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's the whole, it's the title. <laughs> and so uh, they have to work with DOD to do that. And we're actually really lucky as, as then the people who consume this entertainment that we do have a DOD who is willing with many exceptions and caveats to work with films to give them the, that type of equipment, right? And I know for, I've talked to filmmakers who have had to do this and they'll, they'll tell stories about, sending their scripts through the Pentagon because there's a, a guy in a department of the Pentagon that reads scripts before they authorize the use of, you know, military equipment such as a Blackhawk. Uh, and, and they'll say, you know, they got sent back to me 17 times. I had to rewrite <laughs> that scene 17 times because they don't give you notes. That would be against the rules. They just kind of say, nope, sorry, rejected. And so these filmmakers are working hard because they want authentic films for us. And, and, and the DOD is, you know, putting up, you know, a decent uh, threshold for them to meet before they allow those taxpayer resources to be used for something like that. And so there is a symbiotic relationship that, that actually works really well for everybody, I, I think. So, Chris, many of our classmates here at Harris will go into careers that aren't directly related to national security. What would you like them to know about the military? I mean, the first thing is something I think I've mentioned a couple of times already, which is that, you know, you're a part of it. Whether you are or not, if you're if you're an American citizen and a voter, uh, well, if you're an American citizen, you, you should be a voter. Um, and so then as a voter, you are you're part of this uh, part of this entire, you know, national security, uh, foreign policy, national defense structure. And there's probably plenty of things you don't like about it. Speak up about that. There's probably plenty of things you do like about it. Show your support for that. Um, but but mostly you know, just as a regular citizen, as a, as a, you know, someone who lives in the United States, find that chance to have that conversation, to commune with somebody who does know something about it, right? Like, I don't, I don't know much about computer science per se, but, you know, when I meet a computer scientist, I, to the best of my ability, I ask them some questions about coding and about, you know, whatever technology they may be working on. And it's super interesting to me because I do I know that I interact on a daily basis with much of that technology through my computer, my smartphone, et cetera. Um, it's not as direct when you think about the military, but you know the military kind of plays a role in your daily life, you know whether you see it or not, because you know that there there are things happening overseas. There are people preparing for things here at home. Um, if you lived in Houston or New Orleans or South Florida and you've been the victim of a of a disaster recently, then you know, you, you know that the military comes in and supports those types of things. So there's there's a lot and we could go on and on, but there's lots of different ways that the military plays a role in our daily lives. Um, not to mention that the military invented stuff like the computer and the Jeep and Tang. So some are better than others. But um, but, you know, that 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 is all part of uh, our this larger system that we're a part of. So understanding that and then using that as a motivation to have conversations with someone who is a little bit more knowledgeable. Uh, a veteran, a service member, a national security professional, it'll make you better in the long run. That, that would be my best advice. Thanks so much, Chris. That's all we have for today. Really want to thank you for coming on. Yeah, it was my pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for doing this. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on Thank You For Your Service. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at T-Y-F-Y-S underscore podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you'll get our next episode as soon as it's released. Thank you for your service is produced by Thomas Cresnation, Haziano, Ashwarya Kumar, 
and Mary Martha McClay. Our publisher is David Rabon. Special thanks to Yana Saul and Emma Moore. This podcast is a production of the University of Chicago Public Policy Podcasts and is in no way intended to reflect the official positions of the Department of Defense or any other military entity. I'm Nick Pareso. And I'm Sarah Claudie. See you next time.